0: Pilate asked him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Please be seated. So, Advent begins next week, if you can believe that. Beginning next Sunday, we enter into the the waiting process when we look forward to Christmas, to the arrival on earth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, though, is the last Sunday of the old church year. We start a new official church year next week. This is the last Sunday of the old year. Assigned as Christ the King Sunday. And so each year, the people who put together our lectionary of readings choose readings for this Sunday, readings that highlight the kingship of Jesus. We sing songs that remind us of his status as king. Uh, But Jesus is king doesn't make much of a sermon, does it? It's, it's too short, really. Um, and plus, it demands a follow-up question, right? What kind of king is Jesus? Because not every kind of king is a king that we would actually want. There are good kings and tyrant kings. There are kings who ride at the front of their armies, and there are absentee kings. What kind of a king is King Jesus? And the truth is, Even as you just listened to our songs and heard our readings, that the kingship of Jesus can be actually a complicated question. In our two readings this morning, for instance, we have a pretty different description of what Jesus as king means. Here's what we read from Daniel 7. As I watched, thrones were set in place, and an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out of from his presence. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood attending him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. That is a king. Streams of fire an awesome throne. Huge numbers of servants. And attendance. But then from John, Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation, and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answers, My kingdom is not from this world. It's certainly not a king in the way that you would expect, a king of this world. No throne, no throngs, just a man standing before someone who apparently wields more authority than he does. Now, I actually love the difference between these two readings, because as Pilate questions Jesus, you know, so you are a king? <laughs> question mark, question mark. You just know that the kind of king Pilate has in mind is the kind that's described in Daniel 7, right? Pilate wants to know if Jesus is the kind of king from whom streams of fire might pour forth. If he's the kind of king who has a thousand thousands serving him and 10,000 times 10,000 attending him. That's the kind of king that would get Pilate's attention. And of course, You and I know that in some sense, that's exactly what kind of King Jesus is. Remember the scene from Revelation 7, which John describes like this. I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Daniel's prophecy has come true. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is just that kind of king. But Jesus doesn't give Pilate what he wants. He doesn't quote Daniel 7. He describes himself in an entirely different way. My kingdom, he says, is not of this world. You say that I am a king. For this I was born. For this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. So, like I said, we have here two very different visions of Christ the King one is in heaven. And it involves a throne, royalty, dominion, and glory, a king worshipped by great multitudes, falling on their faces before the throne and saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is a familiar conception of a king, revered, worshipped, obeyed. And yet we also have this other image. This image on earth, not in heaven. And it doesn't really even seem much like a king at all. Here we have what seems much more like, well, a man. A man who doesn't put himself above others. A man who doesn't even speak up in his own defense. But nonetheless, a man who claims a kingdom, though not one of this world. And of course, the idea of a king in heaven and a man on earth can make sense when we're talking about Jesus. After all, he is both fully God and fully man, totally divine and totally human. But this two-ness of Jesus works itself out in another way too, one specific to his role as Christ the King, which we celebrate this morning. Now, those of you who have been worshiping at grace anglican for more than a year or so we'll probably see where i'm going here we've come to the point in my annual christ the king sermon where i tell you that jesus is a special kind of king that he is a king in fact who wears two crowns one a jeweled crown worthy of worship and adoration a crown given to the one to whom every knee should bow but he wears another crown too, a crown of thorns, a crown sarcastically pressed down upon the brow of a beaten man. One who will lay aside his heavenly kingship for a time in order to save the world, to save you. Jesus is, At the same time, both the eternal and magisterial king and the one who came to earth, carrying in his own body a message about the forgiveness of sins. And so we can say that of Jesus, two things are true at once he is the king, the rule maker, the law giver, the one to whom every knee should bow. And he is also the servant, the rule follower, the life giver, the one who, when the opportunity comes, when he's brought before Pilate a second time with a last chance to save his own life, says nothing in order that he might save the lives of sinners. One of the other readings that is sometimes assigned for Christ the King Sunday is from Luke chapter 23. And it is the logical result of Jesus' behavior before Pilate in our reading this morning. Refusing to defend himself or to assert his kingly rights, Jesus ends up on a Roman cross. And on another Christ the King Sunday, we might read about Jesus' words to a thief who was crucified next to him. And this thief acknowledges, acknowledges Jesus's rightful throne. Remember me, he says, when you come into your kingdom. You're a king, Jesus, but not from here. When you get to where you rule, remember me. And Jesus replies, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a king this is. But this is a king who does not have the normal appearance of a king. We only know he's a king, in fact, because of the placard hung above his dying body and because of this thief's confession. Now, some of the people gathered around are calling him a king. But again, it's obvious that they're doing it sarcastically. They dress him in a robe, but they mock him. They give him a crown, but it's a crown of thorns and it digs into his head, causing blood to run down into his eyes. And yet he is, in fact, a king, a king who offers a dying thief paradise, a place in his eternal kingdom. Jesus is this king who wears two crowns. On the one hand, he is king of heaven. The king everyone should worship. The king who demands and who deserves our submission. Jesus is, and make no mistake about this, Jesus is a rule-making king who asks for our obedience. The New Testament is full of this kind of kingly behavior. Jesus commands us to love our enemies and to turn the other cheek. He commands us to give away all we have and to follow him. He commands us to be pure and holy in thought, word, and deed. These requirements of Jesus are good, right, and true. And we commit ourselves to this radical obedience. We are willing subjects of this king. So we read the scriptures. We pray. We ask the Holy Spirit to continue his reshaping work in our lives to bear his fruit in us. We reaffirm our faith and our effort every single day. But as we worship and strive to obey Christ, the heavenly king, we always remember Christ, our redeemer king, the resurrection root that brings forth this good fruit. We remember Christ, the king, hanging on a cross, promising a justly condemned man a place forever at his side in paradise. It is because of Christ the King made sin that we are called righteous. It is because of Christ the King's goodness and faithfulness given to us that we can be called good and faithful. The the two Christ the Kings work together to save us, the lawgiver to show us our need and the lawkeeper to meet it. The first king is a king who asks for things. If you love me, says Jesus, you will obey my commandments. The second king is a king who offers something. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. These two kings seemingly couldn't be any more different. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is both of these kings. He is the Almighty, the Son of the living God. He is also the suffering servant, the Lamb sacrificed before the foundation of the world. How are these two reconciled? How can they both exist in Jesus? Well, we said it before, he is the God-man, Almighty God, come to earth, fully God and fully human. He issues commands and he makes promises. He is the lawmaker, and the lawkeeper. He is Christ, the King. Just before turning to Jesus to ask to be remembered in his kingdom, that thief on the cross rebukes another thief, one who had been mocking Jesus for supposedly being unable to save himself. We indeed this wise thief says have been condemned justly for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. This thief knows about mighty Kings. He knows that the penalty for disobeying the King is condemnation execution. As we recalled last week, St. Paul says that the wages of sin is death. So outside of some intervention, The appropriate response of a heavenly, almighty king to sinners is off with their heads. And as terrible as it feels, as badly as it hurts, this thief knows the truth that it's right, that it's just. We indeed, he says, have been condemned justly. We are getting what we deserve our deeds so this thief knows about almighty kings but this thief somehow also knows about a redeemer king remember me he says when you come into your kingdom when the sum of our deeds deserves condemnation It is then that we turn in worship to a different kind of king, a king who does intervene, a king hanging on a cross. And there is in this king no condemnation at all. Now listen, we're not turning from one king to another to get a second opinion or a better ruling from a nicer judge. Remember, these are not two different kings. This is Jesus. The facts of our case are not in dispute. Death is the deserved punishment for our deeds. It is the wages of sin. But Jesus is both the almighty king and the redeemer king. Because of that, he does not look the other way from our sin or undermine the ruling of the lawmaker. Rather, as the lawmaker... He recognizes our guilt and then on the cross takes it onto himself. And then, as the law keeper, he sees that we are unable to give what is required, and so he gives it for us his righteousness, for us, his goodness, for us, his life, for ours. And so, we thieves. Hear the good news. Today you will be with me in paradise. The crown of thorns has covered over the crown of jewels. A sacrifice has been made. Jesus' life in place of ours. His goodness in place of ours. His faithfulness in place of ours. The off with their heads of the almighty king is meted out on the neck. Of the Redeemer King. This is why our Redeemer King is not some other king in another throne room or in another procession or in some office somewhere or on a beach or anywhere other than Jesus Christ dying on a cross for you. A king on a cross for you. In the eyes of Christ, the Almighty King, you have been condemned justly by the words and on account of the deeds of Christ, the Redeemer King, you will be with him today in paradise. Today, worship Jesus, an Almighty King, a King who set a standard, a King who was there at the creation of the world, who Hovered over the face of the deep before the sun and moon existed. A king in whom all things hold together and who is first in everything. King Jesus requires your obedience, your love, your faithfulness. Offer it to him joyfully. But this King Jesus is also a suffering servant. He is the friend of sinners. He wears a crown of thorns. As you cry out to him, justly condemned for your failures to live up to his standard, he turns, looks at you and loves you. He says to you, as Christ the King, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise Amen